0: This is an AMI podcast. Hi there, welcome to Connecting Disability on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Megan Gilmore, and I'm super excited to spend this time with you today. You may already know this, but there is a lot going on with disability policy in Canada. And today's guest joins me to walk through some of that and talk about reporting on disability in general. Our guest is Spencer Van Vloden, he is the founder of vcdisability.com, and he and I talk about these different policies that are coming around, uh, how the pandemic has impacted his work, and his thoughts about why the disability movement needs people who don't have disabilities in it. Just a note, Spencer and I do talk about medical assistance and dying a bit. So if that's a sensitive topic for you, just feel free to skip that part of the conversation and take good care of yourself. Here's my conversation with Spencer Van Vloden. Spencer, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. I really uh, appreciate the uh, opportunity to be here and talk with you today.
0: I have been following your work from a distance for a few years, and you and I have talked previously when I've been researching some segments for Now with Dave Brown. But for people who don't know you or aren't familiar with your work, just give them the quick bio of who you are and what you do.
1: So I'm Spencer Van Vloden. I am a writer and community advocate. I edit the websites bcdisability.com and umebc.com. CA, and both of those cover sort of community issues. BC Disability is focused on disability issues in the province. I contribute a lot of articles to different publications throughout the country, writing mostly on disability, poverty, housing, mental health, so many interconnections between those topics as well.
0: And how did you first get interested in disability policy?
1: Well, I guess there's like three main things that drew me to it. And the first one that was the most important is that it's a personal issue for me. I do not have a disability, but my older cousin has cerebral palsy, and I grew up with him seeing the barriers that he faced in the community from simply getting acceptable service when we'd go out to a restaurant as a family, to seeing people gawk in public at him, to the frustration he'd face when he wouldn't be able to speak to someone over the phone, to having trouble getting a job because employers uh, weren't willing to make accommodations for him. It always really frustrated me to see that. I wanted to learn more about why this was happening, and I decided from a fairly early age that I wanted to work in the disability sector and learn more. I saw it as a way of being able to create a more inclusive world for my cousin and just in general. Eventually, uh, I started working in the disability field, starting with youth and young adults uh, and families, where focus. Initially on youth with intellectual disabilities. As it's gone on, I've made more connections and began to work with more groups and just get into the issue more and, and and focus more on the policy aspects and the policy change pieces. So I'd say that's the main thing. But I have a couple other things to add. I think another thing for me, it's just a matter of justice. And I think there's a lot of injustice in the world today for people with disabilities. And for me, it's just a general thing that even goes beyond disability. I want to see a world in which people aren't excluded because they have a disability or because they're poor or because they're racialized or a newcomer or queer or whatever it may be. So I think it's just a sense of justice in general that's drawn me to this. And the last thing I should say is that One thing to keep in mind, disability is unique in that anyone can become disabled at any time. We're also more likely to acquire disability as we get older. And as I'm sure many of us have grandparents or parents who have experienced this. So with that in mind, who wants to live in a world where there's not a strong support system for people with disabilities, whether that's you, a friend or a family member?
0: So you launched your website, BC Disability, in 2020. What's the story behind starting that site?
1: By the time I started to get the idea for BC Disability, I had worked with families and youth and young adults with disabilities, both physical and intellectual, for a while. And one of the things I noticed in doing that work and also trying to make connections with, you know, other disability organizations and advocacy groups is that at least where I'm from in BC, the disability, I guess, community is so fragmented you know you'd have close-knit groups when it comes to youth who have intellectual disabilities or youth with autism but then when it came to youth with a physical disability it's like they didn't communicate at all with those other communities there were just all sorts of those uh sort of barriers between people and I thought you know it's so important that we bring more people together because we're stronger when we're together. And one of the reasons change sometimes doesn't happen in society is because movements are too fragmented and they can't put their power all together. So I thought, no, there's a need to bring more people together in BC and the disability community, not only for advocacy, but also to share information. I came up with the idea for BC Disability as a resource hub that spans across disability communities and also as a place for people to connect and share their opinions. And views on things. You know, the website got started and evolved and grew, and it's interesting because through that you can really see some of the overlapping issues that really affect the whole disability community. Namely, I think the one that stands out is is poverty. And trouble finding, you know, accessible, inclusive housing. You know, it's it's just been two years now, so it's really not long at all. But I think that we've had some good conversations started in that time. And, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, building it further.
0: Now, when most people think of the year 2020, the first thing that pauses their mind isn't, oh, that's the year that Spencer started this website. They think, oh, that's the year the pandemic started. So <laughs> yes. So how did that influence things do you think it's significant that those two things are happening at the same time
1: Well, I think for one thing, that was one of the factors that motivated me in starting the website as well. I thought of starting the website before I had ever heard of COVID, but by the time COVID came around, I was still working on the website and it was apparent that there was going to be a shift to people relying more on connecting remotely rather than through in person. And so that that was a motivating factor for me to to get the website out there. So that was an important factor. And also the connection aspect, the bringing people together for conversation through the BC Disability website, they could do that more often. There was a platform there for them to do that. And we also held Zoom meetings where people could connect and talk, well, remotely, but still, you know, face-to-face in a way. It came around right at the time where, you know, people needed connection and they, they needed to be able to find resources online. And also, it, the, the pandemics highlighted the issues that I think a lot of people with disabilities face, like poverty, you know, the lack of housing, the issues with our medical system. It's just brought those issues into more prominence.
0: How have you seen coverage of disability issues change over the past two years?
1: you know, it's often been said about the pandemic. And I think I just said it myself that it highlighted gaps that already existed in society. And I think it did that as well for disability issues. I've seen more coverage of the things that I was mentioning, like poverty, issues with medical system. But I also think it's important, though, that issues don't get framed like, you know, once the pandemic is over, that they will be resolved, because that's not true at all. These are longstanding issues that got worse during the pandemic, but they will continue to to be prominent after the pandemic. In coverage, sometimes I, I, I notice that there is such a great focus on the pandemic, but these issues really go beyond the pandemic. One thing I've seen come into prominence a lot in coverage, and it's probably in some part related to the pandemic and the worsening of people's social conditions, but also due to the changes in legislation, has been coverage of medical assistance in dying. That has really become more prominent over the last couple of years. To me, that really highlights what is wrong in Canada with our policies in that, you know, and I say it, there's a place for MAID, but there's not a place for MAID for people who have been let down by the system and are only considering it because they don't have the support they need that should have been there. There's been a lot more good conversation around that. And of course, now we have the discussion around the Canada Disability Benefit, which is so important. And I think tying it back to the pandemic is that, you know, a lot of people noted that when they received emergency pay during the pandemic, that when they were able to get those, even if it was like a, an extra $300 a month, that made a, a huge difference in their life. And I think that highlights why it's so important to create a stronger financial support system for people with disabilities, because just that couple hundred dollars changed people's lives during the pandemic. And it's another reason why the Canada Disability Benefit needs to be fast-tracked and it needs to be inclusive of people with disabilities and not just to a narrow segment. The pandemic, it, it raised a a lot of important issues and brought them into prominence but it's still important like i said to realize that the pandemic could end or it could never have even happened and many of these issues would still be there
0: right i mean to your point the first of those Issues that you mentioned that um, made the expansions to medical assistance and dying. So it became known as Bill C-7. That legislation Mm -hmm. was originally introduced in February 2020, like before the pandemic even officially was here. So people with disabilities entered into the pandemic already with this mindset of we're fighting the government for the right to live. Regardless of whether or not there's a pandemic. Absolutely. Um, And
1: it's hard for me to shake feeling that the government's doing more to help people with disabilities kill themselves than they are doing to help them survive and thrive. You know, just a few weeks ago, I talked to Les Landry. He's a guy from Alberta. Uh, he's a senior, and uh, he's just been so let down by the system that he doesn't have the will to live anymore, and he's filled out all the applications. And it's someone like him who just should not be in that situation where they're pursuing MAID. And people like that. Too many stories like that. As in, too many people are, are in that situation.
0: Yeah. So for people who don't know, Les Landry is a man in Alberta. He's very active on Twitter, originally helping people who are living in poverty, connecting them with resources. But in October, he officially applied for medical assistance in dying because he no longer has the government supports to pay for his pain medications and other supports that he needs because he became a senior and then he lost a lot of his benefits. So he's very clear that he does not want to die. He just does not feel that the government has given him the supports to live. I've heard these stories and they're hard. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think you can listen to some of these stories and be brought into these moments in people's lives without something changing for you Mm -hmm. personally. So for you, what does perseverance look like? Like, how do you keep doing this?
1: I tell myself, push for change now, but be patient. I know it's frustrating for people to wait for change when you're struggling to pay your bills. You barely make rent and you're wondering if you'll be able to uh, eat tonight. It's frustrating, it's hard, it's painful. It can take a while even if you're doing everything right but change does happen if we persist. That's, I think, the most important thing to keep in mind. Also, if you just look at the history of societal change and various rights and advocacy movements in history, most of them didn't happen right away. When I write anything as well, I try to include some sort of call or point for change to send a message that, hey, there's a route for change and there's a route for improvement out there. It's not impossible. I think it's always important as frustrating and exhausting and grueling as it can be just to keep the goal in mind that hey it can get better and here's how we just got to stick with it but you know it's hard if you're someone living this situation and you've lived it for many many years eventually you can just get ground down to where you know positive words mean nothing. And that's the reality for many disabled people in Canada, many people in poverty. I I have to respect too that some people have just been it for so long that they just, they lose the will to sort of go on with it anymore. And that's reality of what the lack of support here has done and why it's so important that change comes about as soon as possible. There's just not the urgency in government these days that there needs to be.
0: I want to switch gears a little bit here from talking about some of the issues that you've been covering to actually talk Mm -hmm. about the experience of you writing about them. As you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, you don't have a disability. And as I'm sure you're aware, at times it can be a somewhat contentious uh, Mm -hmm. topic of discussion to have non-disabled people writing about disability issues. For you, what's it been like to be covering disability policy and issues when you yourself don't actually live with a disability yet?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's something I'm very conscious of. Most of the time, when I interview someone with a disability, and you know, I post something to bcdisability.com, I post it in an interview format and post their words word for word. Most of my pieces on bcdisability.com are like that because I want to be true to their word and have them be the ones telling the story and sharing what they think about the issue and not me leading the discussion and creating it around my beliefs. Now, when it comes to pieces like more of the traditional journalistic articles with the pieces where I'm doing most of the writing. For me, it's important that this is a collaborative process. It's not just me writing down all my thoughts, but I connect with people who I'm interviewing or who I've talked about a particular issue with. I ask them and focus on what they want people to know and how they want it conveyed. We go back and forth and it's a real collaborative process to get a message or an article out there in a way that I think is true to the beliefs of the people out there who I've been talking with with disabilities and you can never have a perfect match for someone's story even if you're a disabled writer for example if you talk to another disabled person you won't be able to perfectly write their views down just because you both have a disability it's such a personal thing but I do my best to really work with each person and sort of remain faithful to the message they have every article I write I'm consulting with members of the disability community and advocates out there and I think that's so important too, and also just building relationships in the community and coming together to exchange views. Some of the stories I write don't have to do with disability. They may be related in some way, but they aren't specifically for disability. But anytime I'm discussing disability, I always make sure I go through that process. I think I just need to say it because it's something I think about a lot. But does someone need to be a tree to protest deforestation and logging? Can parents not advocate for better school systems for their kids because they aren't in grade three themselves? Do you have to have a serious medical condition to be a healthcare advocate I say those questions rhetorically because I think that there's still a place in the movement for people who don't have disabilities. People like me who, you know, we have a family member who we've lived with and who we've seen affected by it. We do have a sense of general justice. I think there's still a place in the movement and still a voice for people like that. But of course, people with disabilities must be leaders and the senior leaders within the movement. They're the ones who know most what it's like to live with a disability. So I think it comes down to working together as advocates, as you know, a writer who's reporting on disability. For me, that's the ultimate thing is let's collaborate. Let's have an open discussion and let's put our strengths together because we can be more effective that way.
0: I want to dive in a bit to some of those ideas a little bit more. I've lived with a disability my whole life. I was hesitant at first when I started working in journalism to write about disability. Like you, I actually really struggle sometimes with this attitude that somebody must have a disability to report on disability or must belong to whatever group group they are to be able to report on it mm-hmm. and yeah. for what it's worth listeners if journalists only reported on things that we were 100 percent personally immersed in like if I only wrote about my life I would essentially just be writing about like peanut butter cups okay maybe some other things too but like like you peanut get peanut
1: butter cups I enjoy
0: those right quite a yeah lot. Like, like the world would not be served if I just stuck with mm-hmm. my few issues. So why would you say to people with disabilities, like, you need non-disabled advocates or people who are interested in this topic to be part of your movement, to be part Mm -hmm. of your work?
1: the strength that non-disabled people can bring is that they're simply more people part of the movement yeah. and you know just like people with disabilities have certain strengths non-disabled people have strengths too we all do mm-hmm. and by having more people involved you can put together more strength make more connections ultimately have more advocacy power and more power to accomplish your goals and you know speaking of goals it's important to remember that many of the goals of the disability movement are shared with other movements too so ending poverty creating you know, inclusive, affordable housing, creating food security, a built environment that's easier to navigate, whether that's for a person with disability, a senior, a woman who's pregnant, these are cross cutting goals. These are areas where we can find solidarity. So it's counterproductive to say only these people can advocate for these things. And let me say just to sort of touch on the point you raised about you'd only be reporting on your life if we could only have each person reporting on basically whatever groups they belong to. But the thing is the keep in mind this people with disabilities aren't just one perfectly uniform group like how far do you want to push that do you want to say that people can only talk about the specific disability they have that people with disabilities who are low income and people with disabilities who are medium income can't communicate or share opinions someone with a disability can be more similar to someone without a disability than say another person with a disability totally, totally, right? there's, just, yeah. there's just so many individual differences and I think the idea that someone can can't be a part of this because they don't have a disability. I think that's just counterproductive. I don't think it logically stands up. I just think it's ultimately reduces the strength that there is to, to make a difference. I've thought about this a lot, and I think the most important thing is that we work together.
0: Mm. Yeah, I tell people this a lot, one of the things I've noticed as I've done more reporting on disability issues, often, not always, advocates or people involved in this who don't have disabilities, you often literally as well as figuratively see things that i don't because i've only ever experienced the world as somebody with a visual impairment like that's all Mm -hmm. i know i don't know what it's like to have a mobility disability i I just like i don't know and i also don't know what it's like to be the family member of me right like Mm A doctor never sat me down and said, this is what your child's diagnosis is. Nobody ever like stopped me on the playground at school and said, hey, what's wrong with your sister? I need those experiences to help me sometimes just be a better friend and better family member to all the Mm -hmm. rest of you. If we say that the quote unquote disability community is the only group that anybody can enter at any stage in their life, I think we need to expand who we let into the group because anybody can enter this. um... Yeah,
1: and it's like, if let's say someone without a disability does you know a bunch of advocacy and writing or whatever it may be and someone holds a position that well they don't have a disability so none of this means anything well then that person acquires a disability like they may at any moment does that all of a sudden make this stuff valuable mm-hmm. even though they've already done it i you know i totally understand where people are coming from with the opinion and i understand that there's absolutely a need to have people with disabilities as senior leaders within the movement i just don't see why that should close it off to people without disabilities and i think you really make a great point. You have a visual impairment, but you don't have Down syndrome. You don't have autism. You know, you're not in a wheelchair. You don't have epilepsy. It can be so different from another person with a disability. I just think that's why we need to put our strengths and experiences together.
0: So, Spencer, one of the things that I get asked when people will sometimes pull me in for some journalistic roundtable about disability reporting is Mm -hmm. what some of my pet peeves are around disability reporting. So I wanted to throw that same question to you As somebody who doesn't live with a disability yourself, but has spent a lot of time thinking about these subjects, what are some of the ways that you think stories like this aren't being told well, and how could they be improved?
1: My peeve is probably the stereotypical story that's like, so-and-so with a disability accomplished this look how great that is. And it's not to say that it's not impressive that someone with a disability did something and now they're being celebrated for it. It's more that I think the reality for people with disabilities in Canada is in such an urgent way that there should be a greater focus on why those problems exist and how we can fix them than stories like this person with a disability ran a marathon or something like that. That's not to say there's not a place at all for them. It's just, I think there needs to be more of a focus on where Things can be done better. One of the things about my website that I made a goal is to talk with as many different people in the disability community as possible. And that doesn't just mean the executive director of whatever prominent organization it may be, but just everyday people who live with a disability and may not otherwise have a platform to get their views and their voices out there. So I just want to see more of that in the media and the mainstream media as well, is connecting with a so-called everyday person with a disability and not just all the people who are the main leaders because I think it's important that we get more voices out there.
0: One of the things I noticed reading some of the coverage of your accomplishment, you've been Mm -hmm. awarded many citizen honors in BC, is Mm -hmm. how in some reporting, writers will use multiple different phrases or multiple different words to describe disability without trying to use the word disability itself. Oh, yeah. Um, Some of my other friends who have disabilities like running drugs, but what phrase we think is the most ridiculous phrase we've heard. Do you have a personal favorite for... Or what phrase do you think is the most ridiculous phrase instead of just using the word disability?
1: That's a good question. I got a message one time because I referred in an article to someone as a disabled person. And someone was mad at me for using the term disabled person. And their suggestion was that I should be using terms like challenged person because that's (laughs) much more acceptable. And how they consider that much more acceptable (laughs) is like totally beyond me. I would think challenged seems worse to me. (laughs) The thing is, I'm glad you raised this because I wouldn't say there's one particularly laughable or goofy term, but there's so much walking on eggshells around language use. I have been at meetings where people absolutely would not say disabled. And you could see like when they were going to say it and had to pull themselves back and then would use term like someone who has a diverse ability, which is used a lot. And for me, whether it's disabled person, person with a disability, you know, I've just seen so many people who have different beliefs on this and different ways that they like to say it, that I respect that. But to me, it gets to a point where you can't please everyone. In the community living movement here in BC, so the movement for the community inclusion of people with intellectual disabilities, diverse abilities really took off. Hmm. But then there's a prominent leader within that movement who thinks it's offensive to say that. So it's just like you can never please everyone when it comes to language use. I just stick with those main two, disabled person, person with disability. And I try to as much as I can respect that people have different views on that. I think there's just a bit too much focus on that, to be honest. I don't think it's our path to significant change in society. I think it creates too much disagreement within the community. When it comes to specifically really nitpicking, I question what is the value of doing this.
0: Right, I'm like you. I'm like, I'll either do person with or disabled person. The word disability is not a bad word. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a good word. It, it describes what you're talking about.
1: The thing is too, when I say disability, whatever the parts of the word make it up to be, I do not believe that it denotes someone who has less abilities than someone right. else yeah it's saying like yeah. in a specific way there's this feature but there's strengths that people gain from having disabilities mm-hmm. and ways they can look at things that non-disabled people can't to me it's not like a synonym for less disabled right. able strength you know
0: yeah totally Spencer before we move on to the final questions that we ask everyone is there anything else that you would want to say or anything that you're gonna be working on in the next few months that you would want to give people a heads up about
1: I've been working on a series of stories that have address poverty in Canada with a focus on disability not everyone covered in the stories has a disability but most of them do so I'll be publishing these soon so watch my websites or Twitter my Twitter's BC disability watch those for those to come out It's just telling the stories of everyday people who have a disability and live in poverty a couple people don't have a disability but they still live in poverty so read bcdisability.com if you want to have a look at that and just say hi and i just like connecting with people and uh, learning more from them
0: so final questions that we ask everybody on this show first is in what areas of your life do you find it hard to connect with people because of your experiences with disabilities disability.
1: I talked with BC's Human Rights Commissioner last week, and she said that she thinks ableism is still like the most accepted form of discrimination in society. I totally agree with that. And I still hear all the time, every day in going about my thing or see online, people who make all sorts of ableistic comments or jokes or comments about, you know, people with disability, training the system, all sorts of things like that. I've just become so bothered by those things. And I always was, but it's come to such a degree that I just can no longer tolerate people like that, and I I shut them out. When you have that sort of reaction to that, you start to realize just how many people in society continue to think in that way. So I guess that's one way in which I've really separated myself from people now. It's something that I just cannot take to any degree anymore, and it just triggers me so much. Even among people who aren't like that and are just well-intentioned, I just see the lack of education and information that people have about disability issues and the realities that people with disability face. And in that way, you kind of do feel like less of a connection. But at the same time, there's also that opportunity to educate them and to bring them on board.
0: Right. So building on that, what have been some examples in your life of what good connection looks like?
1: I've made so many good connections just through the advocacy and writing I've done. One of the early pieces I did for BC Disability was with Paul Kahn, for example. He was in long-term care in British Columbia in an infamous institution we have here called George Pearson. He advocated his way out of that and eventually became an advocate for disability and long-term care in general in the community. One of my early interviews was with him, and through that, he taught me so much about long-term care and the dynamics of power, and I've just had you know a really good friendship with him where I've learned so much from him. He's connected me to other people who I've learned so much from. And that's one of the ways in which the work I've done has really created a new connection and new relationships. I'm so grateful for it, as well as being involved with families in the community living movement here. I'm part of a community living council where we hold events and educate people in the community on the inclusion of people with developmental disabilities. I met so many families and people and self-advocates and just learned so much from them and made new friends. And through that, we've been able to advocate better, I think, for the cause. And I just think it's it's things like that that are so rewarding. And just another reason why we need to, as best as we can, talk to as many people, include as many people as we can, because there's always a connection out there. There's always a friendship out there waiting to happen.
0: Spencer, before I let you go, I just have to ask because you brought it up. What is your go-to peanut butter cup?
1: oh gosh that's a good question <sighs>
0: there's many options out there everyone yeah
1: see i don't i'm really happy because when i was growing up they always were my favorite but they only had the, the traditional cup
0: yeah i always
1: said to myself you know what they need to do is they need to make a peanut butter cup that has some sort of crunchy in it so i really like the ones that's like the peanut butter cup but then they also have the Reese's pieces in it you can't give me a Reese's product that i don't enjoy
0: i agree with you the king-sized ones with the Reese's pieces in it are great have you tried the ones that have potato chips in them yes i
1: have and you know what i like it first of all i love the whole sweet and savory mixture it adds the crunchy texture that i always really desired to have in a peanut butter cup so it sounds like a weird thing just off the top of your head a Reese's peanut butter potato cup but it actually in practice I think worked really well I applaud them for trying so many different things after spending so many years with just the basic peanut butter cup they've now got so many different varieties and my taste buds love it
0: okay well just like peanut butter and potato chips can go together disabled people and people without disabilities can also work together to make yeah and we're
1: better because of it right
0: Spencer thanks so much for coming on I really enjoyed this
1: thank you so much Megan
0: Connecting Disability is a production of AMI Audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production by Nizreen Abdelmajid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI Audio. Special thanks to our guest, Spencer Van Boden. And Spencer mentioned how his cousin was really influential in his experiences with disability. So, I would like to take this moment to publicly recognize Andrew Gilmore, the only person who's ever been able to say that he is my first cousin. Andrew, I'm really glad you're part of my life. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll connect next time.